Hello and welcome to this episode of the Called Forth podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be covering what we do with headlines and specifically the headline of what's going on in Israel. What do we do when we hear these heavy, weighty topics and we wonder what can we do in our small corner of the universe? What do we do? That is what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. We are also going to be discussing the detransitioner bill of rights that's being brought forward by the organization Do No Harm. And then we're going to dive into some personal development. What can you do to consistently build habits? How to schedule time for all the tasks that you have and the value of family meetings. Welcome to the Called Forth podcast. This is the place where we help ambitious women of faith to activate and break through the belief structures holding them back. I'm your host, Dawn Town author of the book, Hashtag More Than Done, speaker, wife, and mama four. I'm going to show you how to go from stuck to called forth while connecting to the full expression of who God has made you to be and make this season your season in your life and your business. I believe God has called you forth from the very beginning, and this is your season of awakening and activation. Started with the topic of what's happening in Israel. I don't even know that I have strong enough words for what I saw in the videos that were coming all over social media and the photos of what Hamas has done to Israel. And likely you've seen it too. And so when we see these heavy weighty topics, and even though they shouldn't be controversial, sadly enough, what's happened and the information that's being shared all over social media is sparking fights and sparking debates. You know, one of the first things that I shared on my, specifically my Instagram stories when all of this was going on, was just my disbelief almost in the fact that I saw all of these rallies going on across the world in Sydney, Australia, in London, in New York City, waving the Palestinian flag and shouting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And just all of the celebration over what Hamas has done, which is invade a country and go door to door murdering innocent Israelis. Seeing that this was celebrated was really eye-opening for me. And I think for so many, I did not realize the level of anti-Semitism that is pervasive in my country, in America, and really across the world. It deeply saddened my heart. And of course, there's some things that didn't surprise me. And that is when BLM Chicago tweeted out, or I don't even know what the term is anymore now that it's X, but they put up a graphic of a Hamas fighter on a paraglider with the Palestinian logo, basically in support of the invasion. Because of course, this all leads back to a deeper discussion about Palestinians not recognizing, or and specifically Hamas not recognizing Israel as the true inhabitants of the country of Israel. They believe that it's an apartheid state and that it was stolen and that this is just an act of decolonization. And then most recently over the weekend, there was an argument that broke out on the right about these people that are out there celebrating and even the student groups from Harvard, 21 student groups voiced support in a letter for what they would label freedom fighters retaliating against Israel. And on the right, the argument was between Vivek Ramaswamy, Megan Kelly, Candace Owens, as there was some back and forth with Vivek and Candace taking the stance that these are boneheaded college students that don't really recognize the gravity of what they're rooting for. They don't aren't really rooting for the decapitation of babies, which is what happened over in Israel when Hamas invaded. And that college is a place where you work out crazy ideas in your head 
And Candace herself owns the fact that she once was a leftist and it was through exposure to new ideas that played a part in how she was able to go from a woke leftist to now a voice of conservatism on the right. And really where Megyn Kelly came in, it was so interesting, is basically saying that these college students aren't just 18-year-olds. They're 22-year-olds, 24-year-olds. They're adults and they know the difference between right and wrong. And to sit there and coddle them as if, oh, you know, they're just still trying to figure it out is really wrong. And so leading back to my initial statement about what I was sharing on my own social media was my shock and awe, really, I guess, of these rallies that were celebrating what had gone down. And it was an awakening for me to even recognize. Of course, I follow politics very closely. I, I know that wokeism is pervasive in my own country, but just to see it so in your face, especially coming off of, I know this isn't totally related, but seeing all of the Black Lives Matter rioting that went on in 2020 and billions of dollars of damage across the U.S. to cities and how that was overlooked and apologize for or excuse like you know they're fighting for a cause and knowing with all the information that's out there that their justification for their actions of murdering people and riding in the streets causing damage doing smash and grabs stealing hundreds and hundreds of million dollars worth of merchandise over all of these months that went on in 2020 is again a reflection of this mentality that we excuse bad behavior in the name of injustice or perceived injustice. And I think it goes to just show where we're at in our country. And not that I want this conversation to be gloom and doom and sad, but it's a conversation I think we need to lean into and really have to then know how do we address, how do we bring solution to these problems? And so what was a little scary for me in seeing all of this is that these kids that are graduating completely indoctrinated and woke and so desensitized and insensitive to the current hour and what's really going on is that these same individuals are going to occupy high level places of influence in our different institutions, in education, in government, in the DOJ. And it's kind of a scary time from that perspective, but I don't want to lean into fear. So I really do want to talk about the aspect of what do we do with these weighty topics, these deep conversations that divide us, where we're going to have different perspectives on things. I always like to break things down into the practical level, because sometimes it feels like the answers have to be really complicated, especially if we're talking about a complicated issue. And I'm not saying that answers aren't sometimes complicated, but the simple version of a few things that I'm going to share are things that you can tangibly do when you see these headlines and you get discouraged by all of the weighty conversation and the circumstances that feel hopeless. And so the first thing I'm going to tell you, if you're a mom or you're soon to be a mom, you're going to be a mom someday, raise socially aware, educated, and caring children. And this might sound like a no-brainer. And I'm not advocating for talking to your children about war atrocities when they're two and three or their elementary school. Obviously you do this in an age appropriate way, but investing in your family is one of the best things that you can do to invest in their future, in the future of the world. And while as a parent, you're never gonna get it all right and your kids make their own choices at the end of the day, ultimately when you get to the end of your life, you're gonna be giving an account for how you stewarded what you were given in your family. 
And of course, if you're listening to this and you're an older mom and you feel like, gosh, I wish I had stewarded better when I was younger, you have to understand that wherever you find yourself right now, God is a great redeemer and you can be present with where you're at right now and the future in your children's lives and your grandchildren's lives. But as a mom, whatever age your kids are right now, raising socially aware kids who are caring and who know not just to believe everything they read on the internet and everything that the people that they admire, the influencers that they see on social media, even their teachers and people in authority over them. It is important to raise children who are critical thinkers and aren't just absorbing information that they're fed, but also doing their own research as well. Obviously there has to be some sort of place of trust. So what I really mean is making sure that the information that they receive is from trusted sources and then raising them to be, like I said, critical thinkers. Sometimes we think of raising kids in this way where we don't want them to question authority because we want them to do what they're told and be obedient. And while on some level at certain ages and circumstances, those things are very valid, but at the same time, there is a nuance to this. We want them to not be so conditioned to obedience that they don't question when they've got that gut check in their spirit that I don't know if this feels right. I mean, especially for daughters, for sons as well, you know, we don't want our daughters to be so conditioned to saying yes and being a people pleaser that if they find themselves in an uncomfortable situation that they ignore that gut feeling that something might be wrong. So in the same way, when they're absorbing information, we want to give them the tools to research on their own and have deep conversations about heavy topics and have those communication skills because ultimately they're not going to be in our home forever. So we want to equip them. I mean, I know that parenting isn't necessarily coaching, but there's an element to coaching that comes with parenting. And if you're a coach, you don't want somebody that you coach to be dependent on you forever. You want them ultimately to be dependent on God, but also empowered and equipped to take the tools that you're trying to teach them so that they can walk it out in their own lives. And if you think about parenting in the same way, that also applies. So the next thing that you can do with these heavy weighty topics is probably one of the most important things you can do. And that is pray. Pray for the people that you know that are affected by the tragedies that you read about and see. And then ask God, God, where is my voice in this? Where is my responsibility in this? What can I do in my small corner globe of the universe? And really get in touch with the heart of the Father because he can show you how to pray. He can show you what to pray for. And this makes your prayer life so much more rich as you're communicating and engaging with your Heavenly Father. So prayer is a huge vital component of what you can do with the heavy weighty topics. The next thing that you can do is give financially, especially when I'm talking about this situation in Israel, there are legit organizations that are on the ground providing aid and humanitarian efforts to those affected by what's going on in Israel right now. And I'll actually leave a link in the description of this episode to places that have been vetted by people that I trust, Ben Shapiro being one of them, links he has listed, and he's somebody who's very much on the forefront of what's going on. And really, if you wanna hear more in depth about this topic, I recommend tuning into Ben Shapiro and Megan Kelly. And there's a litany of other voices, so it's not just those two, but those are the two that I would highlight. And the last thing that I would recommend that you do is speak out, have conversations, use your platform 
use your sphere of influence, the circle of friends that you have and have these conversations. And I know this feels uncomfortable because it can be a divisive topic, but I think it's actually really unhealthy in America that we've decided that we're not going to have conversations about topics that are controversial. We need more conversation. And even if the person that you're talking to is in deep disagreement, that is even better because when you learn to articulate your point of view and your perspective and the insight that you have, the better able you are to have these conversations. And when they come back with a point that maybe you hadn't thought about before or that you deeply disagree with, but you don't necessarily know exactly how to combat that point, that shows weak points in where you stand. And so you can walk away from that conversation, educate yourself a little bit better, and then continue to go into more and more of these conversations. And I'm not saying you go into these conversations saying I'm pushing my agenda and I'm not open to any other viewpoint. I think it is important to be open to a fresh, different perspective. And sometimes those different perspectives can either solidify you in the one that you currently have, and it helps you to dig your heels even more into an issue that you find deeply close to your heart or just deeply passionate about or it can cause you to see things from a different perspective and a different set of eyes and a different angle than maybe you had it before, which is a lot of times very, very healthy. Because when we get into our own echo chamber and we don't hear opposing viewpoints, we can have a limited perspective and worldview. I think it is important to hear other opinions and other ideas. Because like I said, it either helps you solidify your own or opens your eyes to a different way of viewing the world. Alrighty, now on to my next topic. There is a new bill that I read about today, which I thought was so interesting. It's called the Detransitioner Bill of Rights by the organization Do No Harm. And it's all about equipping those people that are going through the detransition process to see what their legal rights are as they walk through this detransition process. So for instance, in this bill, it requires that if insurance companies are going to pay for transitions, they also need to pay for the detransition of that person. And if you want to read from start to finish the whole Detransitioner Bill of Rights, it is donoharmmedicine.org. And I'll leave a link in the description of this episode. And the interesting thing is when I Googled Detransitioner Bill of Rights, it didn't come up on Google at all. And when I went to DuckDuckGo, it was still even kind of down in the feed. I think that could also be partially because this is a new topic. I actually first read about it today in the Daily Wire app. If you're not a Daily Wire subscriber, I highly recommend it. It is giving you news information and articles that you normally don't have access to because like I said, this didn't come up on Google at all. And even in DuckDuckGo, it was kind of down in the feed uh, a little bit. And so I don't know if you saw any of the public hearings that Chloe Cole participated in when she spoke before Congress about her experience as a detransitioner and how she was taken advantage of when she was going through this deeply troubling time in her life when she had gender confusion and she was quickly ushered into the transition process without really addressing the true issues of where what was really going on in her mental health. And we see so much of the outfall I don't know if that's the right word, but so much of the fallout, that's the word, so much of the fallout from what has happened with this topic of children being rushed through the process of transition without really giving space and time for them to work through what is really going on with them. And now you're seeing lawsuits, you're seeing the devastation of lives that uh, of people who are falling through the cracks because they were celebrated and affirmed and propped up as the face of transition. And then when they've moved into detransition because they realized it was a grave, permanent, unchangeable mistake, they were dropped to the side by the same groups that once affirmed them and left abandoned with the devastation of being left with a life that is permanently altered. 
So I think this detransitioner bill of rights, I don't know if it'll get passed, but I think it is an important recognition and first step in helping the medical community who is supposed to do no harm, recognize that this issue cannot and should not be a quick fix medical intervention. Not when you're messing with minors and not when you're messing with permanent choices that they may feel different on five years down the road, 10 years down the road. So if you've never heard of Chloe Cole, I recommend you reading up on her story and staying with this detransitioner bill of rights story. We'll see how it plays out. And so my last topic, I know I'm limited on time, so I'm trying to quickly get through this, is family meetings. And you know, we had our own family meeting actually last Sunday and it was so good. I, so I wanted to share it because this isn't something that I've always done super consistently. We've, we have had family meetings throughout the years here and there, but they're not consistently on a schedule. And so I just wanted to share that. I feel like family meetings are so important because they get everybody on the same page. There's so many different ways you can approach a family meeting with your kids and your spouse. And it doesn't have to be all about tough, hard topics like, hey, this is what you're doing wrong, so we need to have this family meeting to discuss it. It can be about so much more than that. I have a friend who uses family meetings to keep everybody on the same page with the schedule and the things that are going on in the week. And I love family meetings from the perspective of maintaining heart connection with my kids. Of course, we do have time together outside of family meetings and I try to connect with them each day. But these family meetings are a group way of connecting with one another and taking opportunities to teach and hear from them. So for instance, my whole goal of this specific family meeting was to go over the love languages and find out what are my kids' love languages, share with them what my husband and I's love languages are so we can better be in communication with another, with one another to show each other love and for them to be aware of this is how I receive love in the most tangible way. And so I there's this book, Keep Your Love On. I'm actually going through separately with a group of ladies. And so I just took this portion of the book where it describes love languages and each person read the few paragraphs that describe what the love language is. And we went around and we shared, like these are our top two love languages. And I wrote them down. I put them in our group family text that we have so that it was on record and easily accessible and available. And it's a way for everyone to then be intentional to know, okay, if I wanna show this person love, this is the best way that they receive it. And it also for them would help, helps them, and I explained this in the, in the meeting, that it helps them to paint the picture of how the people that are closest to them can show them love when they themselves know what their love language is and how they best receive love. I then, of course, couldn't just have it all as a heavy topic, not that it's necessarily heavy, but I wanted to bring some fun into it. So we played charades afterwards. And then we do something in our family and we've done it off and on throughout the years where I just ask each of them to share what they love about the other person. And it could be something that other person does or just funny things about that person or things that we appreciate about one another, but we all go around and we share like, this is what I love about you and you and you and we go around the room and it's just really fun and it's heartwarming i can see the looks on their faces when they hear this is what my sister loves about me or this is what my brother loves about me this is what my mom and dad love about me it's just such a great way of speaking life over your children and teaching them how to speak life into each other and then of course we had our group family hug arms all in for whatever word that they decide we end on and then my husband and i say said actually the prayer happened before the arms all in but my husband and i then prayed a prayer over them and so this is just an example of the types of things that we do in our own family meetings so of course you can make yours your own of course as your kids ages are probably different 
than mine. For us, it was a, it was two hours to connect with all of those things, but I've had meetings go less and I've had meetings where we didn't get to all of those different types of activities. So the last thing in that I wanna say is that if you haven't implemented family meetings, never feel like it's too late. I mean, my kids are in high school and one is out of high school. So if that's where you're coming into it, my best piece of advice is don't feel like you have to make it all serious or an education dump. Find a way to make it fun. I know families that have family game nights. So for you, maybe you don't do family meetings, but you do game nights or just times of connection. The whole point is whether it's a family meeting or it's a game night, finding time that you all can connect together as a group because life gets really busy and it's so easy to let the evenings go by and everybody's doing their own thing. They're on their own device. And then as parents, sometimes we feel like we're dropping the ball and we don't know how to get everyone connected because everyone feels so disconnected. So whatever that looks like for you, find ways to make it fun and introduce it in that way and then prioritize it, be intentional with it, make a schedule with it, give them also a heads up like, hey, I need you to be available in one week on Sundays at six o'clock or whatever date and time works best for your family. Give them that heads up instead of springing it on them at the last minute. But I wanna encourage you as a mom who has teenagers and one that is out of high school, this time is so important and your older children still need you. They still need to connect. Like sometimes we think when our kids are little, that's when they need us the most and they might need us the most in that those physical needs but as your kids get older, they're going to need more from you emotionally and mentally. And so don't ever be under the illusion that your kids don't need you anymore because they absolutely do. They need, they still need those late night conversations. They still need you, even though it feels uncomfortable sometimes for them, for you to address specific topics like sex and dating and boundaries and all of the things. They still need that. And it might for them initially feel a little uncomfortable, but the more you keep that dialogue open and you have some of these tough conversations, the better equipped your kids are going to be. So use grace, ask for God's grace as you're walking this out. I know I don't always walk this out perfectly, but, but by the grace of God, he is helping me to walk this out perfectly and perfect. So go before God, ask for his insight and wisdom before you approach and do these things, and then do your best to just walk it out. You don't have to be perfect to walk it out. Your kids don't need you to be perfect to walk it out. They just need you to show up as best as you can. So that is all for this week's episode of the Called Forth podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I look forward to connecting with you next week. That's all we've got for this episode of the Called Forth podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also make sure to link up with us at www.dontown.com. That's D-A-W-N-T-O-W-N-E.com. And on social media. And please just share. Share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, you have been called forth.